Good morning again. So as I explained earlier, my name is Josh. I'm originally not from Roanoke Rapids. I moved to North I know those <laughs> I moved to North Carolina in 2010. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, my family, I was born and raised in Maryland, uh, and when I was 18 years old, I left to go to college. And I went to Bible college, and that was a big deal for myself and my family. Uh, big deal for my family, I was the first person in my family to go away to a four-year college. I was the first person in my family to leave Maryland to go to a four-year college. And so uh, I was very excited to go on this brand new adventure. My parents, however, were a little sad to see me go. And uh, flash forward a little bit later, so I got to 2010. I, uh, I went as a student to Mid-Atlantic Christian University, and I graduated in 2014. And during that time, I made a lot of really great friends. I had a lot of uh, really great knowledge instilled in me and wisdom, and I met my wonderful wife, and her name is Sarah. And Sarah is a North Carolinian uh, a local. She is from uh, Richlands, North Carolina, born and raised. And so uh, when I moved here, that's what I was told. They said, you know, if you're going to move here, you've got to marry a North Carolina girl. That's the deal. And so I found myself a North Carolina girl, and we got married. And uh, we got married in 2015. And throughout these past couple of years, uh, we have two daughters. Our oldest daughter, her name is Rosie. She is three years old. She'll be four in September. And our youngest daughter, her name is Nora. And she is one. She'll be two in September. And so we have these beautiful two little girls and one of the many blessings of my life that I've found is being a father. Um, it is something that when it happened, I was not prepared for. There are many days I still feel like I am not prepared for them. Um, but these two little girls, when I come home from work and I hear daddy and they run and give me hugs, that is something that I know uh, I would trade for anything in the entire world. And it's been such a blessing to, even as I was getting ready in the house uh, this morning, they're singing and dancing in the kitchen. We have a little uh, uh, smart device there. I was going to say Alexa, or if I don't want an Alexa to go off in here or something like that, like a Siri. And so we have like one of those things, and, and they're dancing and they're singing. And uh, I, I get to kind of go in and say hi to them, good morning, and we dance a little bit. And uh, to see them grow and see them learn, uh, my, my little girl, Rosie, she's getting taller, and so we had to move her children, her baby bed, a little longer. And so I was trying to explain that to her. So how do we do that? And I said, well, we got to take the screws here and do that. And so to do that, to teach her, to show her, it's been, that's such a really great blessing of, of my life, as to be a father, to instill that in her. And so, and then there's the silly fun stuff to dance with them. And for me, I was the youngest of three siblings, and all those siblings were girls. I was the youngest and the only boy of my family. And so one big thing that I always loved was Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> and I loved waking up and being able to watch cartoons. I got to watch what I wanted to watch on Saturday morning. My sisters were a little bit older than I was, so they were either out off with friends or whatever it was. And so that was, that was a great time for me, a big deal. And so as my daughters are starting to go older, they understand what TV is, and they want to watch certain TV, uh, TV programs. And one really cool thing is that as a father... I can show them TV programs that I watched growing up, and we can kind of share in that bond. One specific TV program, and maybe you've heard of it, is a program called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, I remember watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS, 
And if you're unfamiliar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it was a program that ran from 1968 to its very last episode in 2001. It was quite a runtime there. And it was on and off for quite some time, but Fred Rogers uh, was an advocate for children's education. And so he really wanted to create a space for children that they could feel welcomed and accepted and loved, and that they can be taught what uh, colors and numbers are, as well as things like emotions. That when you're upset and when you're angry, how can you deal with that emotion? Now, as an adult, when we get upset and we get angry, we don't always deal with that emotion very well, (laughs) let alone a, a child, a little kid, who's still trying to figure out what emotions are. And so Mr. Rogers creates this place. He creates this television program. And it could have been anything. It could have been Mr. Rogers' Playhouse, Mr. Rogers' Carnival, Mr. Rogers' Circus. But he decides to go with a neighborhood. And I think the reason is because we all live in neighborhoods. If he's trying to reach these children to teach them about kindness, he's talking about where they live, in a neighborhood. And so all of us live in this in a certain neighborhood, in a part of town here in Roanoke Rapids, and we, we are able to understand that concept of having neighbors, having people in our life. And so the program goes on and talks about things like bullying, uh, emotions, loss, um, confusion, pain, sorrow, a bu- bunch, a bunch of different things. Things that children are faced with all the time and things that we as adults are faced with all the time. And so in this program, when he talks about being... Uh, having this neighborhood, he asks a very specific question. The question is, won't you be my neighbor? Maybe you can hear the song. Maybe next week I'll ask Jason to come and do the, the dance when he takes the sweater and his shoe, you know. Won't you be my neighbor? Now, this is a very kind of beautiful question. Because he's not just asking, hey, are you going to be my neighbor? Are you moving in next door to me? He's, he's kind of, he says, won't you be my, oh, I would love for you to be my neighbor. Won't you please? He's kind of pleading. And if we think in our life, maybe there are, we have neighbors like that, like, oh, I love my neighbor. You know, I, we, I know them so well. We grew up together. Or maybe there are neighbors who are like, I don't know who they are. I don't know their name. I know they're loud. That's all I know. <laughs> and so when we're asking people, won't you be my neighbor? It's a beautiful question because you're inviting them, really, you're inviting yourself into their life. You want, you want to know more about who they are so that you can uh, be a neighbor towards them. So that's a, such a wonderful feeling there. And we talked about, you know, sadly we live in a world where there are certain things that keep us from being neighborly. Maybe we don't know them very well. We're afraid of the awkward conversations. Maybe we know them too well. And we don't want to have that awkward conversation turn into tension. Maybe their shrubs are growing past our fence or whatever it is. And so it's very easy to stay inward instead of reach outward to our neighbor. It's very easy to day in and day out, if you're bringing in groceries, to see your neighbor and just say, Howdy, neighbor, and walk on in. It's easy. It is, uh, it, it, you have things to do in your life, and I'm sure you're busy. Everyone has things to do. But Jesus is confronted with this when there's a story between him and, and a lawyer, somebody who is very high up, very uh, well regarded in these biblical times, even today, the occupation of a lawyer. And so there's this question, won't you be my neighbor? 
And this lawyer asked a very similar question. So today we're going to be in the book of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to turn there. If you would rather just see on the screen, the, the passage there on the screen, if you want to highlight it and mark it down for later, that's great as well. But we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 10. In this scenario, Jesus is having all these different encounters. Uh, throughout his entire life, he has encounters with many different people. And they're not always uh, the most organized encounters. <laughs> you would think if people want to see Jesus, everything's perfect. But Jesus had encounters with people, of people who were stuck in a tree that he told to come down, of people uh, that were lowly and people would never have invited them over to their houses. So Jesus has many, many different encounters. And this one is specifically with a lawyer. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, starting in verses 25 to 28, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Right there is a big deal. I'm going to put Jesus to the test. I would never do that. But this lawyer really wants to. He wants to put Jesus to He's saying to teach her, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right off the bat, the lawyer wants to know, Jesus, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Now this is still a good question if you want to know truly, Jesus, what do I want to, how can I get to heaven? How can I have a relationship with you, Jesus? If you truly want to answer that question, that is a powerful question with a powerful answer. But if you're asking, Jesus, how can I get into heaven? What's the bare minimum I can do to ensure that my afterlife is, is, is going to be safe, you know? That's not that question we have to ask. That's not the type of question Jesus is wanting from us. And so, Jesus tells him, he says, what is written in the law, how do you read it? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, then you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. What shall we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does it say? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And church, as church people, as church members, as Christians, sometimes we're pretty good at this. We're good at loving the Lord our God. God has blessed us. We come to church and we sing praises and we uh, read our Bibles and we pray. Oh, I love the Lord my God with everything I have. Then it says, then love your neighbor. People are different though, Jesus. <laughs> People have frustrated me. I have, I have relationships in my past that are a struggle. And you want me to love them as well. That, that's a little bit more, that's a harder thing to do, Jesus. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you shall live. You shall have eternal life. And these are the commandments from Jesus himself saying, love God and love others. So then, he says, in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 29, But he, being the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells him to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the lawyer He's doing something here. He's trying to justify his actions. And he's trying to say, okay, Jesus, I get you. I understand what you're saying. But 
who is my neighbor? Who specifically, Jesus? Because I run in a crowd of, of a certain group of people. You know, maybe they're the rich, or maybe you know, they're the powerful, the politicians. I love those guys. They're my friends, and we went to school together. But you're, you're not talking about the people on the street, right, Jesus? You're not talking about the people of, of, of a different belief or different culture, right, Jesus? He's trying to justify who is my neighbor. And church, sadly, we do this often. I know I do. I try to think, well, does Jesus really mean that? You know, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to be a Christ follower. Maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe, maybe I'm off the hook. Maybe I don't have to worry about that. But trying to justify ourselves when we ask, who is our neighbor? Is it everybody? Is it the neighbor that looks like us, that talks like us? Is Jesus talking about something greater? He says, love your neighbor as yourself, not just the neighbor that looks like you or speaks the same language, not just the neighbor that has the same beliefs as you, but to love everyone as Jesus loves us. To love everyone with the same love, the same Christian love as Jesus loves us. That's what makes us a good neighbor. That's what makes us a good Christ follower. When we decide that we're going to love people, as Jesus loves us. Jesus continues on with his parable in verses 30 and 32. He continues on, he says, you know what, let me tell you a story. And this is a great way that Jesus loves to teach, he loves to, to share and by telling stories. And he says, let me tell you a story. In, in verses 30 32, he says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among some robbers. The robbers stripped him, and they beat him, and then they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So, likewise, a Levite came, and when he came to the place, he saw him, but passed by the other side. Jesus tells this story. He makes this beautiful picture, and he says, just imagine with me that there's this man, and he's on his way traveling, and, and he gets mugged. And not only just robbed, but they take everything from him. They take his money, they beat him up, they even take his clothes to humiliate him, and they leave him there for dead. And then there's this priest, and they think, oh, surely, surely the priest, the priest who works in the temple, who is so close to God, surely he will stop. And he sees the man, he crosses the street the other side. And then there's a Levite, someone of that same culture. Oh, maybe this person's from my same town. Maybe it's somebody that I know of the same family. Maybe our families are friends. He sees him and just goes to the other side. <laughs> Church, it's very, very easy to just go to the other side. It is. And I've, I've done it multiple times, and, and I pray to God, and I ask for forgiveness, because I know the Lord is calling me to do something different. To be a neighbor to somebody. Not just to the people that I know, but the people I don't know. Not just to the people I agree with, but even the ones I, I don't always see eye to eye with. To truly be a neighbor, we have to learn what it means to do this story. And so maybe you've heard this story before, but the passage in this Bible is called The Good Samaritan. And so this is the story that is talked about when Jesus, uh, he, he's talking to this lawyer. And so what it means to be a good neighbor, truly a good neighbor. And doesn't just mean bringing cookies over to your neighbor. And granted, I love cookies, so if you ever want to bring me them, that's fine. 
It doesn't just mean lending them something, and that's great too, we'll talk about it here in a second, but to show the love of Jesus to them, to truly show it to them. So what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Well, this continues, the story goes on, that these people, the, the priests and the Levites, they walk past. And in verse 33, it says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, we have a Samaritan person and we have a Jewish person. And of course, in biblical times, these two people did not mix at all. They are from two very different belief systems. The Jews of people who believe in the one true God and the Samaritans of those who believed in many gods and who sacrificed to idols and who did really even worse, worse stuff as Samaritan people as, as, as it went on. So they did not mix at all. It did not happen. But here's this Samaritan, and he sees this person on the road. And the Bible says that he has compassion. So what is the first thing to do if we want to be a good, godly neighbor? You have to stop and take notice. You have to be able to stop in your daily life and take notice of the things going on around you. Now, church, I, my wife and I, we just bought a house here in Roanoke Rapids. Uh, we've been renting for the past three years, and now we bought the house. And I'm very excited. It was a very long and tedious process, but I'm happy that it's over. I'm happy that we own the house. And I've been such in house mode of trying to figure out what needs to get done. My wife wants the carpet taken up. My wife wants to paint the walls. My wife... <laughs> I think every time we come back, she has another list or another thing. And she's excited, too, and we're both very excited. And so I've been such in house mode. I've been trying to clean up the yard. Uh, my neighbor came, and I was able to have a conversation. And my neighbor, who I've known for, for the past time we've lived there, but this was the first time that I found out what my neighbor did for a living. We've been there for three years. And that's not something I'm proud of, but I knew who my neighbor was. I knew their names. I never knew what he did for a living. I knew he drove a motorcycle. I knew he had a very big truck. But I was able to have a conversation because he asked me first. Hey, I heard you bought the house. I said, yeah. He said, we are officially neighbors, you know, like we are here together. And so we had a, a really great conversation. And none of that would have happened if, if he really didn't stop for me. And church, if we want to have these interactions with our neighbors, they're going to be truly godly interactions. We have to be able to stop and to take notice. Life is already going so quickly. And... As a father, it's gotten quicker as I become a father that my kids are growing faster. And that if I don't stop and take notice, I don't stop and be intentional with my time with my girls, I know it's going to go by quicker. We try to have these things on Friday night, these Friday night dinners when we sit at the table. Because there's Wednesday night church, and then my wife has her Bible studies, and so we're not always home at the same time. But Friday nights, we try to make it, make it a point to sit at the table. Now, my oldest one loves sitting at the table. That doesn't have a problem. My youngest one loves standing on the table and crawling under the table and being anywhere besides the table. And so, uh, but it, it's fun. It's part of our whole process that we go through. But if I were to just say, you know what, this is it. This is enough. And there have been some nights when I say, ah, we're not eating tonight. This has been too crazy. If I were to say, this is it. We're not doing this anymore. 
then I'm, if I continue on without stopping, if I continue on my life without being intentional, about doing something with my girls, it's going to fly by. They're going to be teenagers, and that's not going to be something they value when they grow older. And so when you want something that is that important, you have to make time for it, especially when it is your kids. You want it to instill in them biblical truths and values. When you start young, it's something that's going to be instilled as they get older. But if you drop the ball, it's not going to be something that they value. So we already mentioned how easier it is to act like everything is normal, how easier it is just to keep on our path. But the Bible calls us to stop and notice, just as this Samaritan man does. He stops and he notices what's happening around him. And he could have just said, wow, that's a tough situation you're in there, bud, and kept walking. <laughs> Maybe he just could have said, hey, here's a, here's a dollar. I hope you don't spend it in the wrong place, you know, and keep on walking. But he has compassion. There's another verse in Scripture, and it's said with that, is that when, when Jesus walks through the crowd, he looks on the crowd with compassion. I know in my life that Jesus has looked at my life with compassion. And I am so grateful because I am in need of compassion. And I can imagine what that would have been like in biblical times, walking with Jesus and to see his eyes face to face filled with compassion for us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. The question is not, does it affect us? Because that's what we always ask. Is this going to affect me? That's not my problem. So I'm going to keep walking. But it's always, how can I help? How can I look on people with compassion as Jesus looks on my life with compassion? So the, the parable goes on in verse 34, that first part. He says, he went to him and he bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So the good Samaritan, he doesn't only just stop and notice. He doesn't only just you know, say, oh, I hope things get better and keep on walking. He stops and notices, and he addresses the needs of this person who is who's hurt, who is going through such a hard time. So he pours, he balances his wounds, and he pours this, this oil in his wine. Now, what he doesn't say is, I'm going to do this now. I'm put this on your tab so you remember to pay me later, all right? That's not something that he says. He goes and he stops and notices, he addresses the needs of the person who is in need. We live a couple houses down, my wife and I, from uh, a couple named the Birdsongs. Judy and Charlie Birdsongs. Does anyone know who Judy and Charlie Birdsongs? Okay. I knew if I said Birdsongs, there were going to be people who knew that. <laughs> uh, Judy and Charlie Birdsong, uh, they are our Roanoke Rapids grandparents. That's who they are for us. My family lives in Maryland. My wife's family lives down in Richland. They have done so many amazing things. There have been times in my life where I've been so frustrated with my lawnmower. I go over and ask Charlie, I said, Charlie, can I borrow your lawnmower? He said, sure. He said, just give me a couple minutes. And I go home. I hear this noise. I look out the window, and Charlie's mowing the lawn. And I said, Charlie, you don't have to. I just wanted to borrow it. He said, no, it's fine. It's fine. There's another time where we had, we had just moved in, and our dryer had broke. And Judy very, very graciously said, just come over here. If you can't, just, just come dry your clothes here. And so we're walking with baskets and trying to get down. And she said, and we, we go to pick them up. And we said, Judy, it's late. It's like pushing 1030. I said, well, we're not doing nothing. Come on over. <laughs> and so we go to pick up our clothes. And there they are folded in a basket. I said, Judy, you didn't have to do that. 
we are blessed by our neighbors, the Bertrands. They are wonderful, wonderful people for us. And so they are the, those type of people that they, they addressed our needs. They did. They were great neighbors. And so when we talk about being a Christ follower, truly a godly neighbor, we want to notice our neighbors. But if we see a need, we want to address that need. We want to be a neighbor that's going to go and address that need. Maybe a neighbor needs a tool and we give them the tool. And we're not going to be bitter if they didn't give it back. <laughs> or if they've had it for too long. Or if you see them working on a car or, or needing some help, maybe we can go over and help in any way. That's what it means to address a need. You see a need? You need to meet a need, you know? And that's what that is, to address those needs. So Jesus goes on with this parable, and he says, continues in 34 through 35, he says, then he set him on his own animal, brought him uh, to an inn to take care of him. And then the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Good Samaritan doesn't only stop. He doesn't only address the needs. But he goes above and beyond. He gives selflessness. He gives selflessly. I want us to think back to what Jesus said. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as who? As yourself. Well, God, I love myself. <laughs> now you may not think, you're like, no, I don't love myself. Said, but, but myself, I love myself. I've got a house. I've got food in my pantry. I've got clothes in my closet. You know, I, I've got um, a car in my garage. I've got all these things, and I'm just taking care of myself, Lord. I'm, I'm not trying to be selfish. And the Bible isn't calling out for selfishness. What the Bible is saying in this specific passage is that if you truly want to love your neighbor as yourself, you would do to them as you would want done to you. You would go above and beyond the calling of giving of giving selflessly to this neighbor. So this is what this Samaritan does. He could have just wrapped him up and maybe took him to the end and left him there. or you know, got, But he takes him there. He pays for his stay. And he says, you know what? If you have to stay longer, charge me for that too. I will put you on my own horse. I will give you my own things to ensure that you know the love of Jesus. So that you know the love of Christ in your life. I will make sure. I will love you. I will love you and give selflessly to you. I will love my neighbor not only a little bit, not only as much as it will take to get me into heaven. I will love my neighbor as I love myself. I will love my neighbor as Jesus Christ loved me. And church, I don't know if you know, but Jesus Christ loves you a lot. <laughs> so, so much he loves you. This conversation between Jesus and the lawyer, I can imagine maybe it's gone quiet and Jesus just tells this whole intricate story. And maybe the lawyer is realizing that loving your neighbor is less about asking the question, who is my neighbor? It's not about asking who is my neighbor, but possibly to be asking, won't you be my neighbor? I want you to be my neighbor because I want to share the love of Jesus with you. I want you to move in next door to me because I want to show you the love of Jesus. I want to serve you. I, I want to be here for you. 
that I, I can address your needs, that I can give to you selflessly. It's not about asking, who is my neighbor, but, but won't you be my neighbor? So in verse 36, Jesus asks the lawyer a question. He says, which three of these, which of these three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one that showed mercy. You know, at that moment, I work, I'm the youth minister at First Christian, so I work with middle school and high schoolers a lot. And it's that moment where, like, you're talking with them and you're having this conversation and, and they're not getting distracted, they're not getting off topic. And it's just like, oh, they got it. They clicked. That's it. You're right, it's Jesus. And I think Jesus could have this moment with this lawyer where they're talking and Jesus says, well, who do you think it is? And he says, well, it's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, you got it. Exactly. That's who it is. The one who shows him mercy. The true neighbor wasn't even the one who was close to God in the temple. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite from the same culture. It was a person from a very different belief system. Could even be considered an enemy of the Jewish people. But he is the one that showed mercy. He is the one that was the true neighbor. And so Jesus leaves the lawyer, and honestly, throughout the entire Bible, when things are happening to people, it's also really happening to us as well. Jesus leaves the lawyer, he leaves us with this challenge, and closes in verse 37, and he says this, And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the end of this interaction Jesus has with this lawyer. And we don't know if the lawyer did go, and he did do likewise. But as we sit here today, church, Jesus is fully calling us to go and do likewise. He wants us to be able to take what we have learned in church, and maybe not just from today, but our life. Maybe you spent your entire life in church. My mother would wake us up every morning, super early, to make sure we were in church. That's just who she was. My mom uh, grew up going to, to just a Christian church. My dad grew up uh, Catholic. He, he's from Columbia, South America. And so that was a very interesting schedule we had there for a little bit. But uh, ultimately, we ended up going where my mom took us. And so uh, we were up every morning. And, you know, we went to church. And uh, as we got older, it kind of got put on the back burner. But when I got into high school and I, I got involved in church again, and I, I was baptized when I was 16 years old, and so, because of all of these things, I am called to go do likewise. From everything I have learned from when I was a kid. My little girls are learning, and I love to hear them sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Oh, I love that. And I was so excited, and, and, and didn't know what was going to happen, so I was excited to teach them. My little girl went off to Sunday school one day, and she came back, and she knew the whole, all the words. And it was such a beautiful thing. I was like, I remember singing that when I was a kid, too. And I've got other things you get to share with your kids as a parent. And I love that I can share in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood with my girls. I love that I can share in the dancing to Frozen and Elsa with my girls. But the thing I love most is that I can share in the love of Jesus Christ with my girls. I can share in my relationship with Jesus. I can only teach them about Jesus. I can show them how much Jesus means to me. When they see me at the table, and I, I can read my Bible at the table. And I try to do it more, I'll do as much as I can, but there's a reason because I want my girls to see me. And I want them to know that it's important. And so that is an amazing thing to share in with your children. 
with your family, whoever it is, with your friends that you can share. You can go and do likewise. To be a neighbor, to go and do likewise. To ask people, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please come? Let me show you this love of Jesus. Let's share in this love of Jesus together. What a beautiful and amazing thing that we can do. And maybe we're sitting here thinking, I don't even know where to start. I only know some of my neighbor's names, not all of them. You know, Fred Rogers, um, he's, he's been passed away for quite some time now, and his wife, Joan, uh, she wrote, uh, helped write a, a biography, an autobiography about him. There's a couple of authors, and they interviewed her. There's also been a couple of movies, a documentary about him, another movie. And she said one of the main things Fred did he would always wake up very, very early, probably around 5 a.m. or so. He'd wake up early, and he'd sit at the table, he'd open his Bible, and he said, she had this, he had this little book, and he would also open up, he, he would be journaling. And one day she said, Fred, what are you writing in there? And he said, just names. Said, names? Names of who? He said, well, these, these are my cameramen. Said, these were uh, the people on stage. These are some of the kids that I met today. And slowly she started to realize that Fred was taking the names of everybody he had met every day, every new person. And he told her that when he would come, either in the morning when he woke up or before bed, he would pray. And he would pray for these people by name. And he would, he would be able to pray by name for these people. And that's a beautiful thing. Because maybe he didn't know their whole story. Maybe he didn't know where they were from or what they were struggling with, but at least he knew their name. And he could pray to God for them. So church, maybe it's as simple as learning someone's name, as learning a neighbor's name to understand who they are, to understand their background, to, to stop and take notice, to address their needs, to give selflessly. Maybe it starts with just knowing their name. Church, I am uh, so thankful I'm able to be here and share with you this morning. And so I, I hope and pray that for you, you understand what it means to be a godly neighbor. And maybe, you know, when we tell this story, there's a lot of times we say, well, we're one of two people. You know, either you are the priest, you know, you are uh, the Levite, maybe you're not paying attention and you're walking down, and, and people will say, well, you need to stop and take notice. And that's true. Or they say, well, maybe you're the Samaritan. Maybe you're taking the time to help. And that's really great as well. But church, a lot of times, we might feel like the Jewish person who got beat up. <laughs> we feel like that person who's on the side of the road, who has gone through hardships and pain. And he said, this might as well happen today. <laughs> I don't have any good neighbors. No one has stopped to look after me. Or, or I did have them, and I, and I struggled, and I had my sins in my past, and I just gave them back to my old life, my old temptations. And then comes this, this good Samaritan. And a lot of times you think, like, oh, I can be the good Samaritan. You know, you can be. But also a lot of times we are that broken person on the side of the road, and that good person that comes and gives selflessly, that's Jesus. That good person that looks at us and he takes notice of us, he has compassion on us, that's Jesus. Puts us on his horse, he takes us to the inn, and he, he heals us. And he gives not just the minimum, but he gives way more than we deserve. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus has done for us. And church, we are called to go and do likewise. 
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to worship your name, to hear from your word, Father. Lord, we ask you to be with each and every one of these members, their families and their children, their grandchildren, Lord, that you be with them as they go off into the world for this week, whether it's back to work, preparing for, for school or whatever it is, Father. Lord, help us to stop in our life, to take notice of our neighbors, to be about the neighbor for others. Help us, Father, to address the needs of the needy and to give selflessly. And Lord, we are so thankful that you gave selflessly for us, Lord. We're so grateful. And Father, we ask you to be with us. Uh, we ask you to be with our, our church and, and the service, Father, that we are able to come together united as one church under you, God. Lord, we love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen.